you're listening to The Enlightened Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah Jane, and I'm a gentle chiropractor, holistic counsellor, energetic worker, intuitive guide, and yoga and meditation teacher. I'm the host and creator of The Enlightened Podcast, and I'll be bringing you stories of resilience, consciousness, healing, the human experience, and just how trauma, loss, and grief can shape us to be more compassionate and more empathetic human beings than ever before. These stories are for the highly sensitives, the empaths, and those wanting to hear a unique approach to holistic health. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode. Today we are chatting to a friend of mine, Sarah Bunnell, who is also a yoga teacher, just like myself, but she's actually an owner of um, her own brand called Once Upon a Yoga and it's based here in Melbourne. And Sarah runs retreats as well, which I am supposed to be going on one apparently. Um, when, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's going to be going ahead or not at this point, um, but I've wanted to go on one of her retreats for so long maybe uh the timing's just not right and maybe it's because I need to go on an international one which she also runs at some point um but yes welcome Sarah thank you for having me I am crossing all of my fingers and toes that the September retreat is happening so (laughs) let's throw that out there into the universe (laughs) so am I especially when I finally committed to one you know got out of my resistance and said no I'm going and then what do you know It'll happen. It'll happen. I hope so. Eventually. I hope so. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We know one day it will happen either way, but I am really looking forward to it. I'm hoping that it still does go ahead. But I'm so excited to have you here. And if you could just maybe introduce yourself to everyone, not for everyone, to everyone, and so they can, I guess, get to know a little bit more about you and what you do and um, I guess how you got to even being a yoga teacher. Yeah, great. So my name is also Sarah and I the am best name. <laughs> the best name. I do know some great Sarahs. Um, so yeah, I'm originally from Melbourne. I've done lots of traveling around the world, um, living abroad, living in different places, but I have found myself back in Melbourne now and have been here, I think the last maybe four, last four years I've been back in Melbourne. Um, and as you mentioned, I am a full-time yoga teacher. I also do a little bit of marketing on the side for my wonderful partner's business. And I create and run these retreats that we were talking about. So all of that well and truly keeps me very busy Mm. in a good way, in a good way. Yeah. So in terms of, um, how I got to this point, I guess, and how I got into teaching yoga in the first place. Um, I've always been a very spiritually curious person. And a lot of people actually don't know this about me, but I did do a primary school teaching degree at university. And some of my favorite units were Catholic theology of all things. Um, (laughs) and it wasn't so much around the Catholic theology and what surprised me actually about those units were, it was a little bit more of 
a philosophy and religious studies unit where it encompassed and compared lots of different religions um, and philosophies from the ages and really dug deep into sort of the core principles and the similarities between all of the different or many different religions. Um, And I think that's probably where it really started sparking for me, wanting to learn lots about different cultures and different ideas of faith and um, different ideas of spirituality as a concept, I guess. Um, And then the teaching was at that time definitely not something for me. I was feeling really sort of claustrophobic by the idea of being stuck in a classroom with 30 screaming children all day. Why? Um, oh, I wonder why. <laughs> Actually, you know what? It wasn't it wasn't so much the 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 kids even that I was worried about. It was more the parents having to deal with 30 sets of parents. Um, mm. That was quite overwhelming. Um, and so I really wanted to travel and just coming out of uni, I had zero funds, no money in the bank and, you know, quite a strong desire to travel. And one of my friends suggested to me that I should be a flight attendant and work for an airline such as Emirates or Etihad and be able to travel the world and get paid for it rather than having to save up to go traveling. And so I jumped onto a website for Emirates Airlines and it was so bizarre in four weeks time from that moment they were coming to Melbourne and doing a recruitment drive from Melbourne so it was just one of those things I actually had to go and apply for a passport to even apply for the job because I'd never left the country and didn't have a passport (laughs) so I got a passport and I had oh there was various things I had to get contact lenses because they didn't like the fact that you know you wear glasses I'm a total nerd burger and wear glasses all the time. Um, nothing wrong, nothing wrong. <laughs> fellow nerd burger over there. Exactly. Um, and so I found myself six weeks later after that um, interview in Dubai and jet setting around the world. And that's really where I found yoga. I'd attended a few yoga classes prior to that sort of in high school and, and here and there at the gym. Um But having been 21 years old, traveling the world, having no sense of grounding, having no sense of sort of stability, being away from my family, yoga really was the only thing that kept me grounded and sane. So I was very, very happy that I decided to jump into a yoga class over there. Mm -hmm. So that's really where the sort of... um, the yoga journey began. And then when I was sort of flying, just chatting to people, you're a very captive audience on a 17 hour direct flight from Dubai to San Francisco. And, you know, you talk about everything and anything that you're, that you can think of. Um, and I found myself just talking about yoga all the time and all of the things that I was learning, particularly the breath work, um, and how that can affect your inner state it was so helpful as a yoga teacher. So I found myself on these long flights teaching people how to do particular breath practices that I'd learnt in order to, for example, um, calm yourself down so that you can go into the bunk and have a little rest and, and be able to sleep. 
and then pick yourself back up again when you come out of the bunk and you're on straight away and having to serve people um, as soon as you've sort of woken up from these little tiny bunks. And, you know, we'd be tired and be sitting around feeling really lethargic and so I'd get everybody doing these energizing breathwork practices. And I think my very young and enthusiastic passion for this was just really inspiring people to want to learn more. And then everybody was encouraging me to to do some sort of training so that I could be offering this type of thing on a little bit more of a formal basis. And so I enrolled in the yoga school that I was going there, had a a 12-month sort of mentorship teacher training. I know that a lot of them now are sort of maybe three or six months and and a lot of them are one-month trainings, but this was a 12-month training. So I enrolled in that actually not originally to teach. I Because of my passion, I just loved it so much. I just basically wanted to learn more about it. Um, And so that was the the initial journey of my teacher training. And then it sort of naturally and organically just happened that – my passion on all of these flights, people were just hitting me up to do classes. So I started teaching. Um, it was called, I, I created a little Facebook page um, and it was called <laughs> Yoga in the Park. And we did sunset yoga in a park in Dubai because it was too hot to do it any other time in Dubai. Um, so as the sun was setting, we went to this little park with beautiful grass and I lit some candles and yeah, I just started teaching people yoga and that was a Hatha, like a Hatha yoga based mm-hmm. um, practice, not so much more the vinyasa that we find definitely here in Melbourne. Um, it was a bit more of a traditional style um, of yoga and the rest is history, really. So much. I remember when I first met you and you told me that you um, were a flight attendant and I was like, mm. what do you mean? And I just love how you have such a, a history behind what drew you to yoga. And I don't know if many of my clients know this either, but I actually started off in a double degree of science and art, art science as well as um, education. So I wanted to be yeah. a teacher initially as well. Um, I dropped it after doing my rounds. <laughs> That's when I decided I didn't want to be a teacher in the rounds. I was like, this yeah. is crazy. Yeah, that's what I did. I remember, it was, like you, it wasn't necessarily the children. I wanted to be a high school teacher so I could help people um, and help youth going through many things. But in those days, which makes me sound ancient, in, at Deakin, you had to actually do your first rounds within a primary school. You couldn't get your first rounds within a high school. Mm. And so I was like, okay, this is fine. Um, and the kids were so cute. But I remember walking into the staff room and this, I picked up a newspaper because I was all nervous and no one had really introduced themselves to me and this grumpy old teacher was like, that's my newspaper, you can't, <laughs> can't read that. And I was like, oh, God, like this is just not for me. And so I actually um, dropped the education and then, similar to you as well, I took up a minor in world religions and philosophy. So that was ah. my minor. Mm. So my major was psychology, but my minor was philosophy, um, but predominantly world religions, which I just loved learning about. It was it was mainly Eastern philosophy, but we did touch, uh, touch on Christianity and all those kind of things as well. But that's where I think I drew a little bit more to my spiritual side and I guess 
different ways of living as opposed to just what we knew. So I love that you started off that way as well. And similar to you as well, I when I did my yoga teacher training, I did 12 months as well, which like you said, they don't tend to do as much of anymore. And um, mm. I didn't do it necessarily to become a teacher either, but I did it more so just to, well, I think everyone should do yoga teacher training because it teaches you so much about life in general. But so funny, a bit of a similar path there. I wasn't a flight attendant, but I did apply for Virgin once. And then I, I remember I got to an interview and then they um, had said, written in their documents that you couldn't have tattoos and I had tattoos. So I thought, oh, it's just not going to happen for me. Wasn't wasn't meant to be. But when you were talking about getting into Emirates and, you know, applying for a passport, <laughs> a passport for, for your job as a flight attendant, Tell everyone a little bit about that process and how challenging it was to actually even get into that because it's a very competitive world from what I understand as well. Yeah, so we had 250 people at the interview and it was a three-day process and 12 of us were left standing at the end um, and were offered positions. So, um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. But in my my true A-type personality style, um, which we've spoken about before. Um, I researched everything. So I read blogs of people that had been through the process before to find out what it is to, you know, to learn what's what to expect and, and what's going to unfold in those three-day interviews. So from little tiny details like the way that you sit. So I was sitting with I learned, I taught myself how to sit with my legs, just feet on the floor and then knees off to the side a little bit, legs together, not crossed. Um, I had, I prepared myself with band-aids and lollies in my bag to give to girls that had bought brand new shoes and had blisters and lollies for girls that were freaking out and had low blood sugar because they hadn't eaten and they were stressed. And, you know, I just really went for it and just did everything I possibly could to stand out um, and to show the attributes that they were looking for. But that that sort of, so that four-week period between seeing that um, job ad and then being at those interviews was a whirlwind of, yeah, getting all of the documentation ready for the passport, going and buying, you know, a little skirt suit that was conservative because they're an Arabic airline. Um, I went and bought new lipstick and taught myself how to do my makeup properly. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a pretty crazy sort of whirlwind. Mm, It's so, yeah. I think it just demonstrates though, um, (laughs) what kind of person you are. You were like, no, this is a goal I have. This is something I want. What can I know about it? What do I need to know about it? And what can I do to help myself stand out within this process? And not everyone thinks like that. So I think that's, you know, a really amazing part of who you are. You just, you're a committed person and I love that. (laughs) But what's really funny is I know that you and I have chatted briefly about um, you being a, a yoga teacher and you, you know, you always mentioned that it wasn't something you necessarily had seen yourself doing. So obviously you were, we were talking about then a little bit about why you were drawn to yoga and it was the breathwork practices as well as, you know, having something for yourself that could assist you feeling, I guess, stable in a really strange environment, being in a different country across the world. Um, mm. But what is it about yoga that made you want to teach it? Because I think we all have a different 
you know, reason reasoning for that. Most of the time it is to help others experience a state that we have experienced. But why do you think you ended up being a yoga teacher basically? Well, when I, so when I moved back from Dubai, I did a little bit of teaching when I moved back to Melbourne and I actually didn't feel ready. There was definitely an element of feeling intimidated by the Melbourne yoga scene. Um, but I also felt like I didn't really, even though I'd had lots of life experience, particularly for my age, um, I still didn't feel ready or established in myself enough to be guiding people through any type of process. Um, And I think that that's what comes along with being a yoga teacher. You can't just, well, I mean, you can, you can, you can just be a teacher and teach the physical aspects of yoga if, if that's, if that's your calling. Um, but for me, I knew that there was more and I knew that I wasn't in a place to be really authentically offering that. I wasn't at that time living and breathing what I knew to be true and a really beautiful way of living. I just wasn't quite there yet. So I did actually have, um, a break from teaching for a few years and then I was working for, um, Kaya Health Clubs in Melbourne doing some marketing things and some sales things. And, um, my boss there said to me, he's like, you know, we like to support our staff members to do lots of things that they love. You're always in yoga. Why don't you go and do, um, a refresher course for your yoga teaching and and we can get you in for a class a week or put you on the covers list or something like that. And I was like, oh yeah, that, that sounds good. That because he could see that I was extremely passionate about it. And I think perhaps he saw that I was ready for that before I did, which is most often the case. Other people see things in you that you don't necessarily see in yourself yet. Um, And so I went off and actually did one of those one-month intensive 200-hour YTTs in Bali. Um, And whilst there was a lot of sort of information that I already knew, it was – it was actually quite cool to see the contrast of doing a course over 12 months and then really being thrown into an immersion um, in that sort of four-week period. And it's very interesting that that four-week period of intense, you know, six days a week, 14-hour days was one of the biggest transformational experiences for me as a person. It was basically like a month of therapy and personal development. Um, and there was a lot about myself that I didn't know about really, or didn't have awareness around. And it was just this huge, big spotlight shining into, um, parts of myself that needed to be worked on or or healed or transformed or just simply be made aware of. Um, And then when I sort of came out of that, I got back to Melbourne. I'd applied for my insurance and really tragically, one of the girls that was supposed to be teaching on this particular day had three classes lined up back to back and had a car accident on the way to the studio and she's okay. It was, it was nothing major, but she wasn't able to come in for the classes and they couldn't get anybody in because she was supposed to be there, you know, within the next 10 minutes. Mm. 
And so my boss said, okay, we've got these three classes back to back. Oh my God. (laughs) Go. And I was like, what? I hadn't, you know, I did some teaching in the teacher training and I'd done teaching a little bit years prior, but, um, it was different styles to what I'd taught. It was just completely different environment. And it was really sort of just, I was just thrown back into it. Um, and then I think, you know, being thrown into it was good. I think maybe I'm usually pretty good at, at just going for things, but um, that was definitely a catalyst in just just getting me back into it before I thought I was ready. Um, and it really just went from there. There were so many classes available. I think the people that came to those classes, those three classes that I did on that day, never came back to my classes again. <laughs> because <laughs> I had no preparation um you know I sort of just just had to just go pose. for it yeah warrior two <laughs> for five minutes um yeah it was a bit of a mess but um it was good to just just to get it going and sort of be that kickstart to get to get it going and and it was funny I actually never wanted to to stop doing the job that I was doing for them I it was it was really going to just be something that was on the side and the universe had other plans um and I think just with all of the self-work that I have or had started and was going through, um, I think that that type of vulnerability when you're, when you're ripping yourself open um, emotionally and spiritually, um, people, I find that people seem to be very drawn to that. And mm. whenever I'm going through something quite intense or um, whenever I'm feeling quite vulnerable, that is definitely when people are drawn to me. I have more people in my classes. I always have very interesting feedback of deep experiences from them. And I feel like it's that energetic opening that invites other people to be doing the same. And sometimes it's conscious and sometimes it's really unconscious. Um and I, yeah, I do feel that it's that type of genuine, authentic work that I've been doing on myself, and definitely at that time, that opened it up to be something more than just doing a class here and there. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I think, um, well, for you and I, and I'm sure many others who are listening, is it's sometimes that perfectionism really serves us and then other times it can prevent us because we think that we, you know, we shouldn't do something, especially if we do have a lot of respect and honour for it. Um, We feel that we shouldn't do it until we are, I guess, exceptional at it or, you know, it's that whole imposter thing sometimes when it's like, well, who am I to help guide people through, you know, such a spiritual journey when I'm still figuring things out myself and, Yoga teaching is really not what people think it is. You know, I, I remember when I was doing my training, you know, I loved the depth of it. That's why I wanted to do it. But I also, when I started doing the actual, you know, hours of teaching within the within the course, I was surprised how nervous I was, how um, not intimidating of others it can be, but also 
the expectations you have of yourself to want to create a beautiful, you know, space for people in a class that people get something out of, mm. um, you know, you can put a lot of pressure on yourself and then you're thinking of all this, you know, you're trying to guide people into certain asanas or postures in a way that flows and, and works and, um, you know, there's actually quite a lot of things going on at one time to cre- that goes into creating a yoga class and um, sometimes I still, like I know if I went back into teaching now I'd be kind of back in that same space again where I'd be like, oh, gosh, I don't think I'm any good at this but, you know, like you said it's really the that authentic and um, genuine connection that you make with others that you know people really get drawn to within your class and like you said it's creating that space when you're I guess okay to be who you are with you know your all your good and all your I guess perceived bad or what we perceive as bad and that you're on that learning journey too it creates I guess that same safe space for others and they are drawn to that and um I think that's what really makes an exceptional teacher in the yoga world. Yeah, I think so too. I think there's like a very a very delicate balance between dirtying, uh, airing your dirty laundry um, and being, you know, raw and mm. honest. Um, very good point. Yeah. <laughs> there is definitely, <laughs> definitely a distinction. You don't want to go into a yoga class and then the teacher be like, uh, you know, oh, there was bad traffic and <laughs> oh, my boyfriend's doing this. And like, I personally don't want to, you know, hear that in the yoga class. It's about the student. But <laughs> if you, if, if there is something very real and raw happening within you, I think that there is a very beautiful way with grace and integrity to be able to integrate that um, for your students to sort of see the humanness in a way. Mm. Yeah. Mm. No, that's a very good point because I think we've all been to a class like that before. <laughs> like, okay, maybe that one was a little too open, you know. Um, but I guess, you know, also most of us who are drawn to either yoga as a student or maybe not as much now, but I know when I started and, you know, I would say at least a decade ago, most people were kind of looking at uh, yoga as a way to help themselves. So most people had experienced some sort of I guess, trauma or pain, whether it be emotional, physical or spiritual in their life. And they were looking almost for a way in which they could transform that, I guess. So why do you think so many of us, I guess, are drawn to yoga as an assistance to that pain? Or why do you think so many of us are in pain in the first place? And how can yoga help that? So I think that there's definitely layers of like a conscious decision because you've heard yoga is good for stress relief and, you know, calming the nervous system and helping you sleep and, um, you know, maybe even physically stretching your body and you're not feeling good in your body. Um, But I also do feel that there can be more unconscious layers where people might accidentally find themselves in a yoga class or they might think that they're going to a yoga class for one of the above reasons but actually there's you know a lot more going underneath that they maybe are or aren't aware of um and I think that you know in a yoga or meditation class it it really is a space that's been created a a safe space and a space for people 
for these things that live beneath the surface to just really naturally kind of bubble up um, to be experienced or made aware of or seen or processed or, um, you know, dealt with in a way of having to then take that to a therapist or a healer or, you know, um, a counsellor or a friend or something along those lines. Um, and I think, you know, particularly in our modern world, people aren't sitting with themselves for long enough to even have the space or the time or the energy or the effort or the foresight to, to even look, to even see, to even feel what's actually going on. And, and we become like these champagne bottles where we just shove everything in and under the rug and deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think the yoga practice in that space allows these things to come up to be dealt with and integrated or released depending on what, what's, what's unfolding. Mm, I think so too. And I guess we're, well, currently in the current times that we're finding ourselves in, we're kind of seeing that struggle in terms of when we're being forced to sit with ourselves or sit in our stillness, I'm noticing that can be very, very challenging for some people uh, because, you know, we do kind of distract ourselves, whether it be with, uh, you know, TV or work or social interactions or whatever it might be. And, you know, a lot of us don't have that relationship with self or even the self-awareness of why maybe uh, we function the way we do or why do we react the way that we do. And, I think it's definitely more prominent in the Western world in terms of when I travelled, you know, to Southeast Asia or um, even India, spirituality seems to be a very big part of their culture. But in our world, it doesn't seem to be as big. I think it's getting bigger now as people are becoming a little bit more aware of it. But what do you think it is about, I guess, our culture that finds it so challenging to be still? I think that it's multi-layered for sure um the the main thing just currently is just this overstimulation that we have in the west at this time in history we have this information and stimulation absolute overload we we have our phones attached to us we're available all the time we can stimulate ourselves with entertainment and information and conversation with anyone and from anywhere all over the world instantly. So when naturally when something wants to come up and I find this a small example, when, when you're going through your, your to-do list for the day and, and the, the hard things or the difficult things or the things that really require sort of hard thinking or reflection or, you know, a certain level of effort end up on the last thing in the list. And every time you get to them on the list, you're like, oh, I'm just going to grab my phone. And you don't even realize you, you sort of, you get stuck on something that's a little bit tough. And then we go and do something that's soothing or that's easy or that feels good, like a dopamine hip. And then we just don't have that. We don't have that space um, to just get on with it and just do it. And I think that these types of things um, that we have buried deep within us never have the space to just be there because we 
self-soothe in a negative way through social media, through our phones, through Netflix, through, you know, chatting to friends about things that don't matter, surface level things. Um, they're all available all the time. So we can just grab for them like a pack of chips, food. We do it with food as well. Um, we don't, we don't have any watching me. <laughs> no, I'm watching myself. I have a, an extreme chocolate and hot chip addiction. Don't you worry. Me too. <laughs> I'm working on that. I've given up. I just enjoy it too much. <laughs> <laughs> I've accepted completely. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. No, like, not at all. Watching me. There's a camera in, there's a camera in here. <laughs> Sarah's seeing everything I'm doing. I had a packet of, well, at least they'll macro organic corn chips, but I had a packet of them before. Oh, yum. Yeah, yum. They're wonderful. <laughs> but this is what we do, right? There's, there's, we all do it in our own kind of way. Um, but there's just, it's too available. The, the overstimulation is too available. Mm. And like you said, we are just all looking for that self-soothing, you know, mechanism. And um, sometimes it's just about learning some new, I guess, healthier or, or, you know, ways that are a little bit more optimal for our our health in terms of uh, learning how to soothe ourselves, go for a little different option. But yeah, Yeah, I think think like the soothing, the self-soothing can sometimes, so, you know, self-soothing is a beautiful thing to do when done in a really positive way. But I think sometimes as well, we need to not soothe for a moment and, Mm. and just like allow things to be as they are and just see what happens. Even if it's just one minute, just sit with it for one minute before you self-soothe and see what happens. Sometimes the self-soothing can be, um, pushing it away rather than, accepting and inviting in Mm. Mm. so again that comes down to that delicate balance and really getting to know yourself on such a deep level that you're aware of when you're distracting and when you are genuinely soothing in a positive way Mm. I think it's just you know so much of a well somewhat of an instinct is if you're feeling that something's painful our our instinct instinctive response is to make that pain go away whereas you know sometimes if you do just sit within that and sit within all those emotions and all those feelings even if it can be painful um, you'll actually get more out of that situation than what you would if you were just to continually do stuff that just feels good like anything in life if we just do everything or only do things that are comfortable for ourselves or are only things that feel good when we do them, we won't really experience a lot of the stuff in life that we, we well, not that we need to, but should want to experience because, you know, we're not stretching ourselves if we just stay in our comfort zone. Just like you with that, you know, those classes that became available, those three in a row, that was a stretch for you to do those classes. And, you know, you were laughing saying you didn't think that anyone came back from those three classes, but... <laughs> It was that uncomfortableness that then made you go, hang on, I can actually do this. Yeah. Um, and that's how we stretch, you know, that's how we change and that's how we develop. And you and I were kind of saying a little bit before this recording that, you know, we're kind of accustomed to doing that for ourselves. We're accustomed to feeling that uncomfortableness or that pain or whatever and push through it to a certain extent if we know that it's something that we actually want to do and it's just a resistance, you know, we're quite comfortable with that balance whereas I guess a lot of people may not be or, you know, may not even be aware that there needs to be a bit of uncomfortableness to 
to get to a not a, a next phase, not like a goalpost or anything like that, but just that next, um, I guess, relationship with yourself. Like I trust myself a lot more because I'm like, no, yep, that's hard, but I know you can do it. Like I legitimately believe that I can get through anything and it's through not only, I guess, out of my control instances that have grown that trust within myself but also me then doing it to myself as well. Yeah, so yeah, it's very, think, very yeah. interesting. I feel like yoga um, is a space to help cultivate that type of comfortability within uncomfortability and sort of gives you small wins to point you in the direction of knowing the value in being uncomfortable and not necessarily like pain um Mm. but then again that's another distinction isn't it learning what what is actual pain for you and what is simply just uncomfortability sometimes we just Mm. throw everything that's got any type of intensity in the pain basket when if we actually Mm. dissect that a little bit maybe maybe it's not maybe it's not painful maybe it's just intense Mm. Mm. and I think that's one of the reasons I love yoga as well (laughs) yeah totally I like that feeling you know because I'm like oh this means it's you know I'm I'm doing something here this is you know unraveling something here this is this is why I love yoga it's helping me do more inner work and not just physical work but yeah I guess that spiritual work that we were talking about before as well and before you mentioned you know being a bit intimidated so to speak about the Melbourne yoga scene, and there definitely is a, a yoga scene within um, Australia as a whole, but Melbourne can be quite a competitive one, and not just for, you know, the teachers but also for the students to some degree. Do you think that the studios are becoming a little bit more aware of creating a culture that is, I guess, a little bit more welcoming for all and because, um, you know, I'm sure you've heard this before from some of your students as well, is that many beginners have this perception that they aren't good at yoga. Apologies if you can hear Cooper barking in the background. <laughs> he's, he's full guard dog at the moment. And before Lulu was meowing, and now it's Cooper barking. But <laughs> when Cooper, please don't. It's my authoritative voice. <laughs> when I was teaching, I had also spoken to people who I guess felt like they weren't good at yoga or felt like a bit of a in someone else's words a bit of a loser or out of place because they couldn't do you know certain poses or they didn't look a certain way or do you think that's changing a little bit more I hope so um I mean within my own networks with my own friends and colleagues and the studios that I teach at um and I guess this comes with you know my own values and and where my integrity sits and then where it is that i choose to teach um but yeah I'm very luckily in environments where that sort of pretzel yoga is not really the goal um and it's definitely more about a safer space and and a more inclusive space with many many options for people at all varying physical capabilities to be able to cope with And I think um, as a whole in Melbourne for sure, there's so many different styles of yoga that open up space for people 
with varying intentions and varying physical capabilities to be able to attend. So I know that a lot of people start with a yin yoga practice, which is actually a fairly new style of yoga. Mm. It's not really a traditional style of yoga, but I do feel that that has opened up a lot of accessibility for people to be able to, um, you know, stretch the body in a bit more of an intuitive and gentle way. And even, you know, they'll have varying vinyasa levels. So you'll have, for example, a slow flow, which is, you know, a very accessible class at most studios. And then there'll be maybe a power flow or a vinyasa level one, two or three. And I think that studios are breaking up this type of um, categorization to make it more accessible for people so that they can sort of slot themselves in where they're at either on that day in that moment or or where they're at in their practice in general Mm, mm, I hope so too and I think you know I've heard from even fellow yoga teachers you know from them as well that sometimes it feels like the yoga world can be even more of an egoic world than the non-yoga world at times which is you know you don't kind of expect that from the holistic kind of health genre but you know um we're all human no matter what but I think yeah I think they are working on that a little bit more and um I guess even that competitive competitive nature within students isn't there as much in terms of like people actually feeling okay to go with those options that are given now um instead of feeling like no no I need to do that because you know half my class is doing that and if I Mm. want to be good at yoga I have to reach that you know um I think we tend to focus more on getting to know your body and where you were at and what feels good for you one day may actually not feel good for you another day and, and that's okay but it's it's learning that balance like everything but also learning how to honour how you feel above what you think others think you should or want want you to do because you want to be, you know, impressive to others. It's about learning to honour your own inner compass which I think is certainly a life lesson in itself. Yeah. And I, I honestly do feel, you know, upon reflecting now, I, I see it so much less. I definitely have a few students that I have to rein in and I do, and I rein them in. If, if I see the ego very loud and I see people doing things that are unsafe for themselves or for others, or if I see people pushing themselves too hard, or if I know that they're going through things and, they're pushing themselves too hard on that particular day. I just pull people up on it and I mm. point blank tell them to to pull back and give and I give them another option. Um, but but that is much less and less. I, I don't see that um, as much as I definitely saw when I first moved back to Melbourne in the yoga world with people just wanting to be upside down all the time and putting their bodies into very compromising positions. Um, (laughs) I do honestly just see a lot less of that. I think many people, you know, injuries are so rife in the yoga world Um, and I I definitely went through a phase and I I myself, as, as you know, have many things in my body that have been aggravated um, through yoga and through doing, you know, pretzel style yoga in my body. Um, and sometimes you have to learn the hard way. Um, and definitely that's made me a better teacher to, to have these things happen in my own body, to see the very real danger of doing things that your body shouldn't be doing. Um, 
And I think that because yoga is spreading so much in the West and in Melbourne, in Australia, um, more and more people are having more interactions with people that potentially have had injuries and, you know, they warn their friends and families. Teachers are going through similar things to what I'm going through, so they're shifting the way that they're teaching um, to reduce that type of thing happening. And and that all leads to things just being more accessible and, um, yeah, just re- reduces that risk of, of injury. Mm. I think, you know, a lot of people are kind of hypermobile in the world of yoga as well. And they, yeah, they're drawn they to able. it. <laughs> yeah, they they're are. They're like, oh, they- I can do this. <laughs> I like this. And then next and- minute you've, you know, busted your sacrum or popped a, yeah, something. a vertebra or, you know, God knows what. Yeah, because I think, you know, for them getting into those, some of those postures or asanas, is, it's not that difficult because their body just goes there, you know, mm. um, quite naturally. But it's it's about, you know, I guess what's an optimal movement for your body, not necessarily because you can get into it. Like, for example, you know, even with like downward-facing dog, which I still believe is not a rest pose. It's the hardest you. posture of all <laughs> postures. It's so hard. It's so complicated. That interdasana, which is mountain pose, it's so complicated to get right and no one believes me, but they are. And That's a true even, story. It is. And even for downward-facing dog, for me, um, I bend my knees because that allows me to get a more, you know, a, something more optimal out of the stretch or out of that posture for me um, as opposed to I can have my knees straightened to an extent, you know, and I can get into that. It might look better um, in terms of my, you know, if, for my Instagram feed or something, mm. but um, it actually I can feel, you know, my hamstrings and all that kind of thing working better when I actually just have a little micro bend in my knees and just lift up a little bit more through the tail. So, you know, it's it's not just because you can do it. It's about figuring out what's actually working for your your system and your body as well. Yeah, I actually micro bend my knees in everything. I I don't lock out any of my joints anymore. Um, okay, as a hypermobile person, you should never be locking out your joints. Over time, that's going to be it's not going to be great for your joints. Um, but when we take that little micro bend, as you know it can give a little bit more space but it can it brings in activation to support to support the joints and then you build strength which is ideally what we're looking for in a, in a hypermobile person for sure mm, yeah it's so interesting so yeah it's not all about trying to get the the pose to look good and know? god bless instagram we love instagram but instagram <laughs> Instagram is a problem. It's a problem because even some of my students, they'll post, they'll post videos and pictures and I'll send them a little love note going, please, <laughs> please put your heels on the floor. Please engage your inner thighs. Please do this. And then, you know, it's beautiful. And it, yeah, but it looks more beautiful in the pictures and fair enough, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. A, it sends a message to other people that that's that's what we should be aiming for. Um, and B, your risk of injuring yourself just to take a photo or video for Instagrams through the roof. <laughs> Worth it, apparently, for well, some people. Yeah, and I've been there. I, You know, it, this is said with complete love. I've been there. Yeah, a, me too. A thousand times over. So, you know, I know that. I know that feeling well. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I'm, unfortunately, I'm not a hypermobile person in that sense. It used to really bother me because, you know, one of my best girlfriends, she's really hypermobile and we did our yoga teacher training together. And she could get into postures 
before I could and she had just started yoga, you know, whereas I had been, you know, practising for quite a while and it took me a lot of work to, I guess, and, um, you know, well, a lot of time and and just, yeah, lots of yoga to do what I thought was, I guess, um, progressive yoga. And so it was quite funny. That's when I learned as well. I'm like, nope, these people are just able to do that. They're just born that way and that doesn't mean that that's what makes a good you know, yoga student or yogi or even yoga teacher, you know, um, I don't. Absolutely not. Like, yeah, no, and I didn't teach anything that I couldn't get into myself in the end because I felt like, no, I can't actually hold space correctly for people um, in that regard. So, you know, I would uh, do a class where I felt was really welcoming to anyone but also all the postures were pretty, you know, accessible to most people, um, which is what I loved doing. So, we just talked a little bit there about, I guess, yoga as a tool in our own healing journeys. But I guess healing is a little bit of a buzzword at the moment in the health industry. So bear with me as I say it, but it's still a relative word. But what is it that we are trying to say by expressing the word healing and such? And, and what does it mean to you? And how is it? how has yoga helped heal you or be part of that healing journey for you? I agree with you. Healing can be a bit of a buzzword um, and it can have many different kind of connotations. For me, healing is a combination of shining the light of awareness onto various parts of yourself, various past memories or belief systems or ideas that you carry, habits, reactions, um, and sort of bringing that to the forefront. And then depending on what that is, it could be a combination of letting go of our attachment to that or Um, through that process of shining a light on something, it can illuminate it in a way that it doesn't feel so big and so heavy. And it sort of, it, um, it makes it smaller and, and less overwhelming. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, just an acceptance and an integration, like for me with my physical ailments, with various, um, as you know, arthritis and things that don't really make sense in my body. There was, there was a period of time where I was really pushing really hard to get answers and to find and fix with a solution. Um, but for me, I do feel that the healing process is, is sometimes not fixing and not um, necessarily finding answers or a solution, but an element of acceptance and integration and then just working with that as part of yourself. I really love that. That's a beautiful definition. And, yeah, I think that's something we all should be um, aiming for in terms of our own journeys. It's not that, you know, you're perfect or you don't – it's you don't have to fix anything about yourself necessarily you're not you're not broken it's literally Mm. just about learning to discover more about who you are and and work out ways in which you can be the best you that you can be and be the best human being that you can be in this world as well but you're not broken there's nothing that needs to be fixed necessarily there's behaviors and things that we can do um you know we can 
learn to alter and manage things a little bit differently in our life. Obviously, we all have some kind of toxic and negative traits that I'm not saying, you know, should hang around just because you're not, you're not broken. But, you know, it's it's coming from that place. No one ever heals from that place of thinking that there's something wrong with them. That's not how it works. Otherwise, you know, you'll think that it's a, a destination rather than an actual process in my experience. But with you as well, you do do some little mantras <laughs> on the harmonium and and is it excuse my pronunciation is it curtain or kirtan 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 thank you I always get it wrong which is why I had to ask you and I've never actually been to one so I am going to go to one once we can again because I've always always wanted to and so for those who don't know what that is you'll soon find out because Sarah's going to do a little little performance for us to finish <laughs> up so very excited so just a little chanting for us all I don't know if um, many of you guys have experienced this before but yeah I love chanting and and kundalini yoga is something that's been a part of my life for many years and yeah they they focus quite a little um, bit on mantras so Sarah is going to do a little mantra performance for us I am I am so mantra for me just before I jump into that um, yeah in terms of the healing journey it's been one of the biggest pivotal practices for release. Like it's actually beyond words, the overwhelming sense of release I've felt through the use of mantra. Um, And sometimes it's been the actual mantra and the meaning behind that and most of the time it's just been a pure physical and energetic and emotional release through using your voice in a way that is connected to the heart. Um, And it's funny, I kind of come and go from it and I picked up my harmonium today for the first time in a little while because I've been renovating and moving and as soon, and I've been feeling a little bit anxious the last few days, maybe in the lead up to the podcast, I don't know, doing something new. <laughs> um, but it's, as soon as I played it, I was just like, oh, it's like this, just this joy just washes over your body. It's the vibration. It's the use of sound through your throat. It's, you know, the vibrational meaning and the mantra it's the vibration of the harmonium, which you might be able to hear a little bit of that kind of vibration through the the recording as we do this. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just that pure connection to heart. So with that, the, the mantra that I'm going to chant for you guys, I'll, I'll sing, we'll sing through, I'll sing three rounds. Um, this mantra is called Loka Samasta. Suki no bhavantu. And the translation uh, roughly translates to may your thoughts, may your words, may your actions contribute to the peace and freedom of all beings. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and it's so beautiful. When you when you sing this and when you hear this, it's felt directly in the heart. It's, it's the big, big heart mantra. Um, and when I do kirtans or when I integrate this into classes, people just 
cry. They just weep. It's just, um, it's, it's really beautiful. So very powerful, very powerful. So you're welcome to join in, um, at home if you want to sing along with me. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll sing a few rounds, uh, so that you can experience a little bit of this mantra. <laughs> and we'll go to one when um, isolation lifts. We'll go to one together, Sarah. It's, it's so amazing. Yes, please. <laughs> All right, let's let's go. just take a really nice big breath in let it out of the mouth sigh it out just notice what you feel I loved it (laughs) (laughs) it's my favorite one oh I love it so much <laughs> I felt like you were singing just for me. Sorry, everyone. But, oh, I kind of was, was, wasn't lovely. I? It was like a serenading. Yeah, I loved it so much. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, especially for that at the end. That was just very, very beautiful. But it's been so lovely to talk to you and I'm so excited for everyone to hear this episode because, um, yeah, I think 
we've delved through quite a few things, but so many people have so much to learn off you and your experiences and what you've created in your life. So thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for inviting me and sharing me with your beautiful community. It's a pleasure. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Sarah. We'll see you all soon. Bye, Sarah.